Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska, where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome aboard Must Read Alaska, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. We are the place for conservative news and content where we are standing up for a strong America, a strong Alaska, and of course, we're, we're always in your corner fighting for your rights as an American. You can also find Must Read Alaska on our website, mustreadalaska.com, and of course, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and of course, all the other fine social media sites that we are on. And also find my column, Must Read America, at our news partner, Newsmax, where I write uh, every couple of weeks on uh, national topics. Thank you for tuning in today. It's a special uh, uh, edition of Must Read Alaska. And we have a very special guest today, Mike Dunleavy, the governor of the great state of Alaska. Welcome, Governor, to the Must Read Alaska show. Suzanne, it's great to be on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and, 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 and thanks for taking the time this morning to talk to Alaskans about what's going on with the budget. We really wanted to talk about the budget, which is a, a, the most important thing sort of on our mind politically right now. It has a big effect on the state. But I just have to mention that when you became governor, you kind of won the, the crummy Cracker Jack prize because um, the first you had an earthquake and then you had like the oil price crash and a global pandemic and then the pandemic of the Biden presidency, which is like awful for our economy. And now you're being asked by the legislature to sign a real horrible budget with a $525 dividend. And they're asking you to violate the Constitution by enacting this budget on July 1, which I, I think that a lot of Alaskans don't understand this enactment thing. And I just wanted to see if you could explain why is the enactment date so important? Yeah, a great question, because it's constitutional. Um, as Article 2, which is the legislature, Section 18 in the Constitution states the following, and it's important, it's very short. Laws passed by the legislature become effective 90 days after enactment. The legislature may, by concurrence of two-thirds of the membership of each house, provide for another effective date. In other words, it's automatic. Any bill that's passed does not go into effect until 90 days after the bill is uh, enacted. So in the case of this spending bill, this budget bill, uh, unless the effective date was changed and the attempt to change it failed, that was one of the issues. They did not get concurrence on the effective date. So the constitutional provision, Section 18 and Article 2, uh, is applied, which means the budget would not go into effect until mid-September. Well, what does that mean? You don't have a budget for July and August. That's an issue. And so they failed to pass a change in the effective date. Now, what that says, Suzanne, which is interesting, you got a couple of legislators that are not big fans of mine, not, not the majority, but a couple that want to make political hay out of this, and they want to blame me for the effective date not being modified. It is solely the purview of the legislature. It is a constitutional, uh, a constitutional section that applies only to the legislature. 
I can't do anything about it. I can't change it. I can't pretend it doesn't exist. The legislature is going to have to go back, work with each other, and convince each other if they so choose that they want to get a different effective date. If they don't do it or they can't do it, we aren't going to have a budget that works until mid-September. So here's a, here's a question. I mean, you're not, you're the executive branch, so you don't get in there and tell them how to really do their business. You, you, you tell them what you want and you uh, look for allies in the legislature, but at some point uh, there, why, why can't they agree on an effective date? I, the impression that I get is that the, the house minority, uh, which are the Republicans are so deeply offended by the 525, um, dollar dividend that they're just saying no we're not going to give you an effective date we we want to force you back to the table to talk about a reasonable permanent fund dividend not something that's just pulled out of thin air okay well what i was told is it's just not the house minority it are is some members in the senate minority and majority and it's also uh, a couple members in the house majority that feel that they were not part of the budget process, that the budget was crafted by a handful of individuals, this is what was told to me, and then imposed upon the rest of the group to vote that way. Well, a number of individuals, um, and let's take the uh, minority for a moment, the Republican minority, what they've said is they, 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 their position is that they were elected to represent 17,000 people for each house district, and that they can't represent their people in the budgetary process if, the, um, if all sides don't sit down and craft this budget together. So, I mean, keep in mind, it's not like there's just three or four Republican minority members. There's, there's, 19, there's 18, 18 minority members. That's a significant minority, and you really aren't going to get much done. And they as much said so at the beginning of the session. Everybody agreed that they were going to have to work together because the numbers were so thin. Apparently what happened is, not just the minority in the House, but other members across the legislature felt that they were not part of a genuine budget-building process. And so when they were asked to change the effective date, they effectively said no to those that crafted the budget. And so the, the solution is for them to sit down and have a discussion as to what would it take to get them to say yes. What changes in the budget? What modifications? And that process... Uh, unfortunately, ends tonight at 11.59 p.m. in this special session, but that leaves us without an effective budget. We have a budget. It just can't go into place until mid-September. So if they want to change the effective date, they got to come back. We're going to call them back on Wednesday if, it's, if they don't come to agreement today and um, reintroduce uh, uh, legislation on the budget, the effective date, or the effective date will be part of that when they vote on it. And... Um, uh, things like the permanent fund, permanent fund dividend, et cetera. So they feel they weren't part of the process, and this is what you're seeing play out. And, and so basically what I'm seeing and maybe, uh, maybe what others are seeing is that the conference committee that was appointed really misread the rest of the legislature. They thought, well, if we just leverage them and say, if you don't vote for this, you're going to get a $525 dividend. And they were, you know, they, they were playing chicken with it. And they've, uh, they've played chicken all the way up to the point where the cars are about ready to crash because the, uh, a lot of the members of, of the House said, no, we're going to call your bluff on this. You can't give people a $525 dividend or an $1,100 dividend just pulled out of thin air. And you can't force us to come to the table unless you, you know, 
unless you genuinely come to the table with a, a reasonable budget and a, and a reasonable permanent fund dividend. And I have a feeling that this is all really about the permanent fund dividend ultimately. And um, you know, I really can't... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, go ahead. No, and I really can't blame them for, uh, for wanting a reasonable discussion out of it, but I feel like the conference committee completely misread the situation. Yeah, so uh, HBR, uh, uh, excuse me, SGR 6 was introduced, um, <clears throat> a piece of legislation that would lead to a constitutional amendment for the people of Alaska to vote on their permanent fund and permanent fund dividend. It was hoped that this, this bill would get hearings. It didn't get hearings until late in the session. We called a special session to get hearings on this as well as the budget. And essentially, SGR 6 um, has not gotten the, the hearings, the scrutiny and the discussion that many in the legislature believe it should have gotten in order to fix this issue. The other issue, uh, as you mentioned, is the, the size of the PFD. Uh, there are two laws in the books. One is the draw from the earnings. The other is the statutory calculation of the PFD that has not been extinguished. It's very much alive. It's not a dead law, but it's been ignored the last several years. The other issue, from what I was told, and I could see, is that there, there, was, there, were, there were, for lack of a better expression, uh, gimmicks or maneuvers done using different fund sources and tying the votes to the, uh, the funding sources that would be there if the vote went a certain way or would not be there if a vote didn't go a certain way. So what happened was there's three steps in this uh, budget process at the end of a session. One is that you vote on the budget. Both houses vote on the budget. If the budget passes, then the budget passes. The next step is the effective date. If you can change the effective date to make it immediate, then the budget passes and can be implemented July 1st. That failed. The other step that failed was the reverse sweep. The Constitution, not Mike Dunleavy, not Bob Smith, not some individual, the Constitution calls for all funds to be swept at the end of the fiscal year into the, into the CBR, into the Constitutional Budget Reserve. Um, and so there was no, the, the vote to not have that sweep, about 160 to 180 programs had their endowment swept because they didn't get the vote to not to do the, re, they didn't get the vote to do the reverse sweep and sweep it back out. So you've got infirmities, you've got uh, holes in this budgetary process uh, that are going to cause some real issues, but they can be solved. They can be solved. They come together, they sit down, all sides talk and say, what is it, what will it take for you to join us in, in, in passing a budget, passing an effective date, and passing uh, a reverse sweep issue? That's really what it takes. This is not rocket science. This is, this is not uh, 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 some uh, chemical engineering process. They know what the numbers are. And by the way, Suzanne, the numbers, lucky for Alaska, have, have been spectacular this year. The permanent fund has grown by 25%, over $21 billion in one year. It's phenomenal. It's about $81.7 billion. Our pension obligations, which we had a gap in the billions, is basically closed. And oil is at $73 a barrel. And so that's not the issue for this year. What the issue is, is that people have become high-centered on their political positions, mainly regarding the permanent fund dividend. And quite frankly, there are a lot of legislators, including myself, that said, hey, we're willing to have a discussion. We're willing to have a discussion 
to change things to make it permanent in the Constitution, uh, are you willing to hear the bills? And are you willing to be part of this? Apparently, at this stage of the game, uh, a handful of individuals that uh, that are in positions of power have decided that um, they um, they're going to uh, uh, force a five hundred dollar PFD on the people of Alaska. Which, by the way, Suzanne, is kind of interesting. A $500 PSD, inflation-wise, would be the lowest PSD in history when the fund gained the most in history. When the mm-hmm. fund is at $81.7 billion. And one last thing I would add. The $500 PSD represents less than two days of per diem mm-hmm. that the legislature just voted to give themselves retroactively. Right. Well, we, we did the math over here at Mustard, Alaska. $525 PFD is $1.43 a day, which is not enough to even catch the bus over to the food bank to get yourself some food. And actually, um, it, it is such, this thing is such an insult to Alaskans, I believe. Uh, you know, we did a poll on Facebook and asked Alaskans if they thought that the governor should uh, veto the $525 PFD. And at this point, it's a uh, it's sort of 550 votes to zero. Everybody believes that this should be vetoed, that it's, it's just technically uh, and, and constitutionally and, and morally wrong to, to be giving out Alaskans a, a mere $525 when you have $81.7 billion in the permanent fund itself, when you have $73.36 a, a barrel oil, uh, when you've paid off your pension obligations, as you as you pointed out, congratulations on that, by the way. And um, and when Alaskans are really coming out of a year when they have suffered so greatly from pandemic, and you know the cruise ships stopped coming, the stores got shut down, people lost jobs, and they see their uh, actually they they see their their state workers and their federal workers as never having lost a paycheck and they got all their leave paid, they've got their medical paid for, and the people of Alaska who aren't part of that special class take great offense at being called greedy or being called entitled just for wanting what is statutorily correct. And um, so I, I just, you know, I, I, I know that you're part of this uh, debate. You, you came into office saying we need to pay the statutory dividend. Now you're saying, you know what, uh, Quite honestly, if, if we can just get an agreement to let the people vote on something, we'll do, the fi- we'll do a 50-50 plan. And I believe that they got a hearing in the House uh, Judiciary, one of, the, one of the committees, but no hearing at all in the Senate. Just no indication that the Senate is willing to take this up. What is it going to take for the legislature to allow the people a, ch- a chance to vote on this and get this settled once and for all? Well, I think it's going to be a constitutional convention, but let me just uh, uh, correct something. It did get a hearing in the Senate. It was just late in the session. So I just want, I want to correct that. You forgot one other thing uh, when you were going through your list of things that have uh, happened to Alaska, both good and bad, the past year. The federal government has essentially done a money dump on Alaska, too, to the municipalities, um, to our tribal governments, to the state itself, in the tune of billions. Mm-hmm. So we not only gained money uh, in the permanent fund, we not only closed our pension obligations, oil is not only at $73 a barrel, but you had all of this uh, ARP money and CARES Act money and CRISA money and probably another infrastructure package is going to come our way. So what does that mean? It's hard to say 
that we're not going to follow the statutory PFD or at the very least come up with an agreement that would put this permanent fund and dividend into the Constitution when we haven't seen we haven't seen funding and revenue to this extent in years, if not decades. It's hard to say that. And I think it's equally difficult to then say, we're going to leave Juno. Um, the work isn't done, but we're going to go because, you know, we're, we want to we go home or we want to do this. And I understand that with folks. But we're leaving the state in a position now where there's no budget. The PFD amount, everyone admits, is, is, is pretty much uh, ridiculous. And we have, so we have the tools, Suzanne, to fix this. But right now, those in, those in key positions apparently uh, don't want to fix this in a way that would bring everyone together. Now, with that said, you asked, what's it going to take? If, if, this, if the legislature refuses to allow its, uh, the people of Alaska to vote on this constitution, they're going to take matters into their own hands because on the 2022 ballot, every 10 years that happens, and, and it's just, in 2022 it will be on the ballot, and the statement will be such as this. Do the people of Alaska wish to uh, convene a constitutional convention? And they can vote yes or no. But I got a feeling, and I'm hearing more and more about this um, as I talk to folks, they are so totally frustrated that they are not mm -hmm. given an opportunity to weigh on these crucial issues that they're probably going to vote yes for a constitutional convention. That will be an interesting historical event for the state of Alaska. That's kind of a, a tricky thing, though, because you open up a constitutional convention and you can get all kinds of unintended consequences. It's not just the PFD. All kinds of good or bad things could actually happen. Yeah, and, and that's what happens. That Unfortunately, you're right, and that's what happens, though, when people are desperate, when they feel that their, uh, their, their voices are not being heard. That's what happens. And quite frankly, again, the framers of the Constitution put all of these provisions in the Constitution. They debated all of these provisions, the effective date, the, uh, the Constitutional Convention concepts. They put them in. They passed them. They're on the books. They're active. And if the people want to employ their, um, their, uh, their collective voices on this, on this particular topic, the, the framers have provided an avenue to do that. And can it open up? The entire constitution could, yes. Could there be unintended consequences? Could, yes. So we don't have to go there if we have amendments that periodically go to the people for their review. They voted up or down. And I, I just think it's a prudent thing to think about as we head into 2022. Very, very interesting. Well, um, I really do appreciate you, you being on the show today. I know you have a, a, a real busy day. Now, you're letting the legislature go, go home because obviously you could call them in on Saturday if you wanted to and say special session starting on Saturday. But um, but instead, you've said, you know, go home, take a few days off. Uh, I suppose when they go home, they're really going to hear about it from their constituents. Um, and then they're going to come back on, I, I guess you, you will call them back on Wednesday. You can't do that yet because they haven't, um, they haven't, they haven't not fixed it yet. They could fix it by the end. Of, by the by, the time um, uh, midnight arrives here on Friday, it all could be a, a solved problem. I doubt it very much because a lot of legislators have left town. But you're, you'll call them back on Wednesday. Then you present them with uh, the topic. That, and what will the topic be? Uh, budget bills, uh, including um, you know the, 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 the effective dates and the reverse sweep will be. Um, part of the discussion at the end of the um, 
at the end of the session when they're ready to vote, but, but budget bills and the same thing, um, the components the same thing in other words. Basically the same yep. thing that they've been there for the past uh, 120 days plus 30 days and they haven't been able to fix. So they've got, they'll get another 30 days then, right? Only at that point, the, uh, you know, the pink slips have gone out and if they don't get it fixed before July 1, then parts of the government do shut down. Not all parts of the government, you know, the troopers will still be out there and the, uh, you know, that we're not going to be letting all the prisoners out of jail and the psych wards will still be, be monitored, but some parts of the government will be shut down on July 1 if they do not get their work done. Um, if they don't get their work done, I don't have a budget to implement. Mm -hmm. I, I want a budget to implement, but if they don't get their work done, I don't have a budget to implement. Uh, at least one that will not be implemented until mid-September because the effective date, once again, was not modified. And so it goes into place 90 days after that. Again, I have to be optimistic and I have to, um, I have to encourage people to, to get to the solutions because the solutions are there. Everyone sure. knows what the numbers are. So uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that here starting next week, we can get this done as quickly as possible. Very good. Well, I um, really appreciate having you on our show. Let's do this again sometime. And I know you've got other uh, appointments this morning. So thank you for taking the time to be with us. Okay. Thank you. Hey, everybody, before we go, uh, for the rest of the week, make sure to sign up for the Must Read Alaska newsletter. You know, it goes out three times a week. It's got all this great content, stuff you'll find on our website at mustreadalaska.com. Also stuff you find that's not on the website. We have all kinds of insider news there. And I really appreciate having the governor on our show today. Scott Levesque, our producer, I want to thank you for taking the extra time this week for this extra bonus round of our podcast. And if you're a supporter of Must Read Alaska, I, I just appreciate you so much. It makes it all possible for us to stand up for what's right in Alaska. And so if you want to support the conservative side of the news, that donate button is on the right side at Alaska at mustreadalaska.com, mustreadalaska.com. And your support allows us to stay strong, independent, and thoughtful against that big liberal activist news media that's trying to shape the narrative here in our great state. Until next week, we're signing off from somewhere in Alaska.